And welcome back, everybody, to our fourth installment of the history of APA, according to Fritz Light. I hope you've had a chance to listen to the first three because it just keeps getting better. Uh, we've had Fritz Light on, and uh, he's done a great job of recapping his history with the game company. We are just about ready to get in to the portion where he became the president of the APA game company. So stay tuned. Happy to have you aboard. And let me introduce my guest right now. First of all, the current president of APA, Mr. John Herson. John, how are you? Good. How are you, John? Doing great. A little bummed about the Bengals, but that's okay. You know, we'll move on. And uh, also, of course, our guest of honor, Fritz Light. Fritz, thanks again for, for joining us in this really historic podcast. Oh, thank you for the opportunity to be with you again. Well, it's great, and uh, we will delve in a little bit further. We kind of talked about the past, your beginnings of actually working at APA. We moved on into the technical, quote-unquote, technical part where APA uh, kind of became more involved with computers. And then last week we talked about BBW and its beginnings. I want to start this week right in and around 1990. Um, you had been there since 72, Fritz. Uh, you were... Uh, well ensconced in the company by the time 1990 rolls around. Uh, again, more of the technology, technology changing all the time during that era. Um, and this was the beginning of the end of the Dick Sites run, who founded the game in 1951. Um, tell us a little bit about how that all began. Uh, I don't think there was a whole lot of signs that Dick was ill, uh, because he died in 1992, uh, apparently of a massive heart attack. Um, did, was there any signs of his being ill leading up to that? No, none. He, uh, he died on a Saturday, and he had been in the office on Friday working normally with, uh, as far as I could tell, no signs of any discomfort at all. It was uh, entirely sudden, unexpected, and shocking. Yeah. So, you know, and you're there at the game company, you're his understudy, uh, the heir apparent uh, to the presidency w when he decides to go. Had he been talking about retirement uh, at any uh, uh, juncture uh, during that time? Well, he started talking about it in 1972. <laughs> uh, That's what I thought. <laughs> uh, from my point of view, and I think I might have said this before, uh, he kind of changed his mind when uh, uh, I took over some of the things he found uh, uh, somewhat distasteful to do. Uh, mm -hmm. So he, there's no question. To the end, he still enjoyed coming to the uh, coming to the office every day. Uh, and I think that what he was doing by that time was uh, was what he wanted to do. And over the years, he uh, uh, he kind of, at least I believe, abandoned the idea of retirement. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, we, we get to the early 90s and, and we move up to uh, September of uh, the, the month of his death in 92. What was the what was going on in the game company that you can remember just prior to his passing? Well, coincidentally, uh, since you said we'll start around 1990 in the yeah. early 90s, I, I began to become personally uh, more and more frustrated. Dick and I had seen eye to eye most of the time over the years, but things uh, things changed somewhat with the advent of the electronic games. Uh, he was never persuaded that the, that the uh, electronic games would last. 
Uh, he continued to believe that the board game sales would bounce back. I thought that was an unfounded belief. And uh, to, to say there was to say there was a whole lot of friction between us would be overstating it. But there was there was a lot of disagreement about the uh, the direction of the company in the future. Dick and I had the good fortune of. Uh, having a company where essentially the same things had been done for decades and they worked right. and every right. year they worked a little better. Uh, but that stopped uh, around the mid nineties. And the, uh, uh, if you looked at the company's financials, you would have thought everything was great. Uh, and that includes going through the years I owned the company, but that was mm -hmm. because we were selling more and more product, a much wider array of product. Hockey games were a good example of that to uh, essentially the same customer base. And I was and am forever grateful to that base, but we were not attracting new customers. Right. And it became apparent that we were not going to attract new customers, uh, at least to me, uh, in, the, uh, in the ways we'd attracted them uh, over the prior years and decades. Uh, so I thought changes had to be made. I also thought greater emphasis needed to be placed on the electronic product because that was the area that was growing and uh, uh, he and I didn't, uh, didn't always agree on that. Um, and let me ask you this, what direction, I mean, you talked about the electronics and that obviously was something that was up and coming. Um, but what were the changes that you would have made in those early years of the nineties uh, that Dick might've just said, no, we're not going to do that. I mean, because I, I think you're a hundred percent right. I think your sales were continuing, but your demographic was getting older. And I think anyone who kind of looks into the future and not just where you are today, it's going to say, hey, at some point, these guys are going to be dying off or, you know, things it just things are going to change. And we're not going to have anybody to come up from the uh, generations that we need to make sales to. That ain't happening. So uh, what were the changes you were looking to make? The changes that I looked to make and uh, uh, and uh, wanted some outside advice on making uh, were changes that I did make when I owned the company. Unfortunately, very few of them worked. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the first four color catalog that we did, which I believe was in 94, uh, was the result of consultation with a uh, very highly qualified direct mail specialist uh, who had been very much involved in the uh, colonial pen insurance marketing, a uh, miraculously successful marketing campaign for whom the spokesman for many years was Roger Staubach. You probably remember. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, anyway, I brought him on uh, as a consultant and uh, together we, uh, uh, agreed to do a full color catalog and we mailed it not only to our customer list, but to uh, about, uh, I think it was about 150,000 other people uh, who uh, seemed to fit the profile of uh, an Apple fan. Uh, that resulted in a monstrous loss of money <laughs> and, uh, and the addition of very few new customers. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, this may be jumping ahead. It was, <laughs> it was at that point that uh, I began to think that uh, it might be uh, 
best for the company to be sold or to merge with another company uh, that could provide a retail presence for the uh, for all of the products, but particularly the board games. Yeah. Uh, so I'm probably jumping ahead of where you want to be. No, no, you're fine because I mean we're going to end up getting to that eventually. But when you talk about retail sales, you're talking about putting games actually in brick and mortar stores, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, and 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 to what extent did that happen during those years, if at all? Because I do recall much them at all, and yeah. I'm going to take one step further into the future. Uh, when I sold to Microleague, the most successful product, Microleague, other than the original Microleague uh, right. uh, uh, software product, the most successful product they ever had and the most su successful single sale they ever had was to Sam's Club. And it was a uh, $400,000 sale of baseball board games. Hmm. And they, uh, with a small exception, I think about 5%, they all sold through. Uh, we did get uh, some new customers then, but uh, uh, I think I'm accurate in saying Microleague was not the, uh, the best organized company that ever existed on the face of the <laughs> earth. And the, uh, the advantage that could have been had from that sale was, uh, was not realized. Uh, record keeping was not what it should have been. And, uh, there was, uh, uh, shall we say ineffective sales follow up to a, uh, uh, to a major sale and sell through at retail that, uh, certainly could have been, uh, uh, continued in the future with Sam's club, at least in my opinion. Huh? That's interesting. Um, well, we're going to come back to that because we'll get up to that point and, and we'll probably touch on that again. But let's begin with the death of Dick Seitz in September of 1972. Now, uh, first 92, of all, 92. Or, uh, 92, um, what was that? I mean, what, what was that day like when, when you found out and 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 just kind of go back to that? time and and let me know what was going through your head uh i got a call in the morning i believe it was from skeet uh again it was a saturday morning i was intending to go to the office but i hadn't yet and he said he had heard uh, this i'm a little hazy on this but mm -hmm. i think he said he had heard that uh, dick was not well and had been admitted to the hospital so i went directly to the hospital and uh he was uh he was already deceased by the time I got there. Hmm. Uh, so shock is the best word. I mean, I had, uh, I had thought for many years about uh, uh, changes I would make uh, in the company. And I had expected uh, for some time to, uh, to take over the company under different circumstances. I, as I had said sure. earlier, he, he kind of lost his desire to retire, but he was taking on a, a lesser role. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, uh, I was, I was making a lot of the major decisions, but not all of them. Right. Uh, so I was shocked, and uh, there were uh, uh, personal arrangements, uh, personal on his part or his family's part, to be made because uh, there really was no one else to do it. Uh, his mother was deceased. His uh, his wife was not well and was. Uh, in a home. So there was really nobody else to uh, uh, arrange the uh, 
memorial service and uh, everything else uh, right. that uh, was involved with that. So the first uh, the first 10 days or so, I was pretty much involved in those things and didn't really have an opportunity to address business. Then, of course, I had to arrange uh, when that was uh, done with, I had to uh, do what anybody else has to do. I had to uh, arrange financing to purchase the company. There had been a buy-sell agreement in place for uh, oh, probably 15 years before his passing. Right. So I knew how it was going to work, but I, uh, I still had to, uh, to raise the money to do it, which wasn't really all that difficult. The company was, uh, the company was much better known in the community than most companies of that size were uh, right. because of the content and because of the occasional local and even national publicity that it got. So uh, once that was done, we were, uh, I had, I had neglected the day to day of the business. Uh, there was really no choice, but uh, I had, and I remember that the, uh, the mailing that should have gone out in, in December uh, went out piecemeal over the course of maybe two weeks or so, which had never happened before, but we just, uh, uh, I just hadn't had the opportunity to, uh, or the time to, uh, to follow up on the day-to-day -day stuff and make sure that everything was, uh, was proceeding in a timely fashion. So once, sure. once we got that out, um, the, uh, uh moving into 1993, uh, I, I, uh, I really was focused primarily on making sure everything that, uh, that was going well continued to go well. And I didn't start to make, make major changes until at least the latter, latter part of that year, with one exception. I did hire Jim Connell to uh, specifically to develop a hockey board game and to... Uh, improve and reissue a, uh, a a software hockey product that he had had and been selling uh, I think kind of minimally for a few years now, uh, how did you how did you know Jim and how did you come in contact with him you know he must have gotten in touch with me but I I, I really don't remember mm -hmm. uh, I remember him coming to Lancaster for an interview and uh, he uh, I was very impressed, uh, and I should have been. He was a, a very competent guy and a very easy guy to get along with. The uh, difficulty we had was I insisted that uh, uh, I needed somebody in Lancaster at the office. This was this was long before the days of of remote working, and uh, uh, Jim didn't want to leave West Virginia. His family was there. His uh, uh, cost of living was quite low in West Virginia. So finally, uh, I agreed kind of on a, uh, a trial basis to employ him in West Virginia. Mm -hmm. And if, uh, if you would have been able to uh, uh, perform a job remotely the way you can today, I think, uh, I think he would have been working for Appbot today, perhaps. Right. Uh, he did a great job with the hockey games. As I say, he was a, a, a fine person to work with. But uh, uh, the mailing that we had done at the beginning of that year was uh, uh, only moderately successful. And uh, uh, I had decided over the summer, once he had delivered the games, that uh, uh, Jim was just someone we couldn't afford. So mm -hmm. I, I met with him 
somewhere halfway and uh, we discussed this in person. He accepted that very professionally and uh, um, that was the end of his affiliation with, with APA, which it was, it was a mistake on my part. It was a well-intentioned mistake, but uh, uh, we would have been better served by keeping Jim Connell, who was uh, uh, very imaginative and uh, probably would have brought a, uh, uh, an eye to the product, that, uh, to all of the product that would have been helpful. And uh, hmm. it, uh, it wasn't, in my defense, it wasn't easy to uh, to work with a person who was uh, several hundred miles away. He obviously right. didn't take any management authority on, at least obviously in my mind, as, as an aside, uh, in spite of so many people working remotely these days, I have believed and still do believe that you can't manage effectively from a distance. Uh, so it was... Uh, it was out of the question for him to undertake any management position, which he could have. Yeah. It was, it was a CPA uh, mm. and uh, it could have helped me there too. <laughs> so that was, that's a regret that I have. Let it, uh, it goes back uh, 30 years now, but uh, he was a, uh, he was a competent person and someone I, I should have figured out, figured out a, uh, a way to keep. Uh, and, and did you have him on just to do the computer product or, or no, he did. He did the hockey board game. He that did was, the board game. Okay. That was 100% his work or nearly 100%. And yeah. uh, the, uh, the computer product was something, uh, as I recall, he, he never wrote any code, but he had had somebody uh, do this computer game, which he wanted to uh, establish a broader base to uh, sell so he made some changes in the game and uh, upgraded it somewhat and uh, made it into what we call an app product but jim was jim was wholly responsible for both of those hmm. that's interesting that's something i didn't know about i'm sure a lot of the listeners out there uh have not either um yeah he was he was giving me progress reports of course yeah but, uh, the uh, the credit for the game certainly belongs to him yeah uh, that's interesting. Um, it, it, what was the mood of the APA community at that time, the customers, knowing that, uh, you know, Dick was gone, you were in charge? Uh, um, I, I'm wondering even how many people knew how much you had to do with the company. I'm sure they'd heard your name and people who were in, in touch with the company would know who you were. But what was the mood of the APA customers in the community knowing that, Dick was gone and, and you were then in there. Was there any. What you said was true. Dick was Dick was the face of the company yeah. and he wanted to be the face of the company. He wanted to continue to be the face of the company, which was fine with me. Uh, so I would say there was uh, there was some fear uh, among the customer base when he passed that uh, uh, either there would be uh, uh, major hiccups with the company or the company would cease to exist altogether. Uh, and unfortunately, I uh, added fuel to the fire with the piecemeal way we sent the first mailing out. Mm. But I think after that, when people saw that products were delivered as they had been in the past, uh, that uh, subsequently uh, mailers were delivered uh, in the same course they always had been. And uh, uh, maybe uh, as much as anything else that we were... Uh, not only uh, 
selling products that we'd sold before, but we had a bigger product offering, new product offering with the hockey games that summer than we had ever had before. Right. And uh, we had a very, very successful summer mailing. Uh, unfortunately, the uh, the results of that weren't in until uh, Jim Connell and I had already parted ways. But I think after that, there was uh, uh, there was certainly confidence, and uh, uh, some people felt that uh, I think with justification that uh, customer service and uh, personal attention to customers uh, had improved. Huh. Well, uh, and that's good, and and I know. Uh, one thing that that comes up, and I don't care how successful your company is or if there's turnover or change, you're always going to get those people to come out and say, hey, are you interested in selling the company? Uh, did you get any of that in at the time uh, immediately or soon after uh, the death of Dick? Uh, a couple that I uh, that uh, really weren't to be taken seriously. That's all. Mm. OK, yeah. And fact, I, when, I, when I first took over, I, I intended to do it for, uh, uh, if not forever, certainly for a long time. When I mm -hmm. took over, I certainly, the, the, the thought of selling it uh, certainly wasn't uh, anywhere in my mind. Okay. John, anything, any comments or thoughts as we, uh, as we move oh, along? I, here? Excuse me. No, I'm fascinated by this. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is great stuff. I mean, I, every time, Almost every five minutes, I learn something different. But uh, uh, so, so uh, Fritz, you, you're you're in charge of the company. You really started to pick up some momentum after the the, the initial uh, slowdown because of the death and changing things around. Um, were you feeling pretty comfortable uh, in, in the role as president now, even though you had really been groomed for that since 1972? Oh yeah. Yeah. Entirely. So I, I was, I was settled in by early 93 and uh, yeah, I was, uh, I was very comfortable and, uh, and proud to be in that position. Okay. So, so you, so you got into uh, the hockey business uh, with Jim, but he was soon gone. Uh, what else were in your sights? as you progressed on uh, through the next uh, few years? Well, I thought at the end of 93 that uh, uh, we had uh, we had made some strides toward the future. Uh, the obvious problem was still attracting new customers. Right. Uh, the hockey games provided a little of that, but we still didn't have any reliable way of bringing in new customers uh, on any substantial scale. Uh, so as we rolled through the latter part of 93 and into the early part of 94, uh, that was, you asked if I was comfortable. Yeah, I was certainly comfortable in the position. I was, uh, what caused me discomfort was our failure to bring in new customers, which obviously was going to be a, uh, an increasing problem over time. So, uh, in 94, I, uh, somehow got in touch with this uh, marketing direct mail marketing consultant uh who it turned out i had known in childhood that was a coincidence uh and he came in and gave me what i thought was good and logical advice uh which uh, in the end uh did not work at all hmm. uh so i had not found uh despite a uh, a very significant investment um any way to bring in new people. And uh, so it was uh, probably uh, then our, our, uh, our 
summer mailing, and I remember this very clearly, was, of course, as I said earlier, a huge disappointment because it not only went to our existing customers, this four-color, uh, very expensive catalog, but uh, to, I believe, 150,000 others. Mm. And not only did it not bring in new people, it didn't do any better than the, uh, the the prior black and white catalogs had done. Sorry about that. Uh, with our customer base, so um, I uh, was kind of uh, uh, at sixes and sevens as to uh, uh, how to move the company forward. It wasn't that we were in in dire straits or anything mm -hmm. like that at all. As I said, I'd made an investment which didn't work, but it was one we could easily afford. However. Um, the uh, uh, the challenge of finding new customers was still there and hadn't been uh, solved in any way, despite what I have what I had tried over the course of about two years since I had taken over at this point. And uh, that was when I began to think that uh, maybe we needed to be involved with somebody else. Um, in those days, how did you determine um, to send mailings to those 150,000 folks that weren't previously uh customers of appa i mean uh you know today you have all kinds of data that you can go to if you're willing to buy it to figure out exactly what people are thinking about but how, how did you come up with that with that customer base for the mailings yeah as you said there wasn't as much data available then as there is now but there was still a heck of a lot at mm. that time uh and this consultant that i had knew where to find it and we were sending at least uh, ostensibly to uh to people who were hardcore sports fans uh people who uh, uh seemed to be according to their personalities uh prone to play games and uh, a couple of other characteristics so it was it was i'm confident it was as, as targeted as it could have been in those days but mm -hmm. it was uh quite unsuccessful Today, you could be talking to somebody on the phone and the next minute you pick up Facebook and there's the <laughs> there's exactly what you're talking about right there. We're being watched, I feel. Yeah, but, things, uh, have, things have changed a little in 30 years. So. <laughs> Just a little bit. Um, what And, you know, besides your strategy, your direct mail, and, and again, I mean, it, it comes up time and time again that you were concerned that there wasn't a gain in the customer base. Um Obviously, I would think you were looking at the younger uh, generation. Did you have any any real ideas there as to how to maybe get younger, except for the the, the electronic products, um, or did you really feel stifled and think, man, you know, we're, we may really be stuck with what we've got demographically? Uh... Maybe stifled is too strong a word, but uh, highly frustrated and uh, without uh, without an answer would be correct. Mm. Okay, yeah, and 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 that is kind of a tough a tough thing to go through when you're trying to grow a company. Um, I don't know. I don't know. In retrospect, that there was an answer. Yeah, um, my uh, I my grandsons are sports fans, but I could never interest them in playing a board game. Uh, yeah, they it's, want, they it's, want they want the graphics uh, and everything that you can get these days, and uh, that was uh, I. It, yeah. uh, furthermore, uh, everybody wants plug and play today, and uh, to play the app games took a little bit of an investment in time to learn how to play. So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, so I'm and, not sure there was a good answer, but if there was, I certainly didn't find it. Right. Okay, so you get to the to the mid '90s by now, probably, and 
then you start to think you've tried a few things, not really working on a high level. Uh, is that the point in time where you start thinking, well, maybe we need a partner or maybe we need to sell? Well, uh, yes, I was, I was thinking in terms, I certainly wasn't thinking in terms of getting out of it. Uh, mm -hmm. I was thinking in terms of a partner, although, uh, what we did wound up being an acquisition. Uh, I, uh, I was persuaded to sell for, in general, I was persuaded to sell for two reasons. Number one, as I said, we weren't getting new customers. And I thought that uh, if we were able to, uh, to get together with a company with a retail presence, a proven retail presence, which Microleague did have, um, mm -hmm. that we would be able to move the board games. And that one sale to Sam's Club indicated that that was correct. Uh, that was 90% of the reason I was, uh, I began to consider selling. The other 10% was increasing, uh, uh, royalties for players associations. Mm, yeah. Uh, over, that was one thing over which we had no control. Uh, and, uh, if the players association, uh, which happened with micro league went for in one year from a minimum of $25,000 to a minimum of $100,000. Wow. Uh, this was not something I could afford over several different sports or even with baseball. Yeah. Today, of course, that problem would no longer exist, but, but then it did. And uh, my greatest fear was that uh, uh, somebody, a major player like electronic arts or even Microsoft or someone would, uh, uh, take a, a proposal to the players association and say, well, we'll give you uh, $5 million as an annual minimum, but we want an exclusive. Everybody else needs to be out of business. I didn't think that would happen, but I didn't think it was impossible either. Yeah. Right. Uh, right. So anyway, um, that was, um, those were the reasons I uh, began to think uh, of selling, which it was always, very painful to think about it. I'd waited a long time to run the company myself, but uh, I didn't. Uh, I didn't want to run it into the ground either. So that was that was how my mind was working at the time. Okay. So then, how did you start progressing, or how did the uh, the um, I guess the relationship with Microleague? Uh, begin and uh, what? How did that all start out? As far as the machinations of getting this thing uh, rolling, are you are you familiar with Thatcher Longstreth? No, I am not. No, Thatcher Longstreth. Well, if you had been uh, at conventions in, I, in the seventies uh, and I guess even eighties, mm -hmm. Thatcher Longstreth was uh, a, a major presence there. He had run for mayor of Philadelphia and was nominated on the Republican ticket uh, twice. Uh, but, uh, to be uh, elected as a Republican in Philadelphia is, uh, and never was a, uh, <laughs> a really likely proposition. Anyway, he, he was a character. Uh, he came to one convention dressed in a, uh, like a 1929 baseball uniform. Uh, he came to another, uh, as I recall. And while he was speaking, peeled off his uh, sport coat, his trademark bow tie, and in fact, his dress shirt and had a, a, a t-shirt with a 66 on it. <laughs> uh, he was a brilliant speaker, very, yeah. very smart man, Princeton educated, uh, and was a, a, a great friend 
to Apple, a terrific customer and a great friend and uh, a uh, uh, kind of an evangelist for the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, an influential man with uh, with some uh, powerful contacts. He was on MicroLeague's board. Uh, okay. So that was the first lead-in. Secondly, uh, I didn't know him. Uh, I met him in passing, but Ruli Carpenter, the former owner, owner of the Phillies, was also on their board. Uh, he was also a man who I had been told was uh, uh, trustworthy, honest, and uh, uh, a man that uh, you could work with and uh-huh. uh, uh, be sure that what he was doing to your face was not different from anything he was doing behind your back. And all that turned out to be true, at least as far as I knew him. So those, those were two pluses for MicroLeague. The third was that they had uh, a genuine retail presence and uh, a track record in selling a software product, not a board game, but they were very confident they could sell the board games too. And uh, I became I became persuaded that this was probably the best alternative that I had. Uh, I turned out to be very much mistaken about that. But uh, again, uh, since this is a confessional partly, uh, that's, that's, that's how it came about. Well, we'll talk a little bit about that. Obviously you were, uh, I mean, you were a little bit hesitant to, selling a company that like we've said you've been groomed since 1972 to take over you just get the handle on it but then i guess as as years went by you kept saying that well things aren't really going a way that i could see this company growing and it really being a viable option for me so you find a company that you think you might be able to partner with tell me about the discussions you had and maybe the restrictions and maybe the expectations that you gave to MicroLeague that made you feel a little bit better about moving towards that? Well, the, uh, if you want me to repeat it, I, I used some time at the convention to talk about this, but if you want me to talk about the uh, the conditions of the sale, I will do that. Yeah, well, I think for those who weren't there or who haven't listened to it, because we put that up uh, as one of the podcasts, your, your entire uh, uh, question and answer period there. But yeah, I mean, if you could touch on it and maybe even a little briefly, just kind of get into uh, the, the bones of that uh, situation. Okay. Well, I would say major conditions of the uh, contract were that uh, uh, I would be employed, that uh, every APA employee would continue to be employed in Lancaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, and probably most important of all, uh, there were reversion conditions. This was an asset sale and not a stock sale. So they were buying certain assets of APA and uh, uh, technically not the, uh, not the corporation. Uh, if any of the uh, uh, contractual obligations, major contractual obligations that uh, MicroLeague took on as a result of this sale were breached and uncured, uh, I had the right to take the assets back again. I thought this was my ultimate protection if uh, if things went south or just went sideways and didn't improve in the way that I'd hoped. Uh, I thought right. it would, obviously it would cost me some money, but I would reclaim the company and uh, we would carry on pretty much as before. Right. Um, when uh, the company became insolvent in 1997, I think, um, there was a meeting 
with uh, various creditors, which I attended and uh, announced that I was exercising my right to uh, reclaim my assets, which were fully secured. Uh, and uh, Summit Bank, the company's bank at that time, informed me that I was not first in line. Well, I insisted I was first in line. In fact, in fact, I had been. But when I mentioned Microleague, Microleague had a different name when I purchased it, a different corporate name. It was Sports Associates. Uh, in the meantime, they had changed the corporate name to Microleague Multimedia. What I did not know was that to maintain first position on my assets, uh, you needed to refile your UCCs uh, when the corporate name changed. Didn't do that. Uh, consequently, I did lose my first position. I was unable to reclaim the assets and uh, uh, was uh, I was just part of the whole bankruptcy. So that was uh, when you look back on the good days in your life, that was not at the top of the list. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I was there at the convention this past year when you talked about that. And I, I think you can look around a room and and the, people were really affected by that. I mean, it was like nobody had ever heard that story. Maybe a chosen few. Well, it's not one I'm proud to tell. Well, right. <laughs> you don't want to go bragging about that. Yeah, it was but... it was nobody's fault but mine. I didn't yeah. I didn't read all the small print when the when the acquisition took place, and uh, there's there's no one to blame but myself. Now, do you feel that was all on the up and up though, or do you feel like there were some kind of backdoor things that Microleague did to 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 kind of cut you out of that or was it just that, well, Hey, you know, Fritz understands what's going on. We named it. We changed our name. You need to make the changes and it didn't happen. I mean, it, 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 did you feel like you were kind of blindsided by it? Oh, well, I was blindsided, but again, it was my fault. Whether, uh, like, yeah. whether uh, someone, uh, without naming names, uh, certainly the, uh, uh, top management of the company would have been better served to allow the bank to have uh, first right to all the assets uh, rather than just a portion of them. I don't know what happened uh, in meetings in which I wasn't involved, but uh, again, the, uh, the accurate thing to say is it was my own fault. Whether, whether or not I was uh, excluded from something I might've been a part of, I don't know, but uh, I had, I had the information in my own hands to do what I should have done and didn't. So, did you have any? Um, did you have any idea of why things went south with uh, with the microleave? Uh, yeah, that acquisition? was that would take ten or twelve calls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I and I, yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. I, it's you know, anytime you talk about something like this, and people think, well, okay, what went wrong? Well. You know, where do you want me to start <laughs> and where this do you is, want me to end? This is digressing. But uh, the one good thing that came out of all of it was that I met John Ferretti, who owned Foxfire Printing and had sold his his printing company to Microleague, just as I had sold my company to Microleague. And uh, it was John with whom uh, I worked for the rest of my career after I left APA. And that was uh, that was a very fortunate circumstance. Yeah. So that's, that, uh, that's the plus that came out of my relationship with Mike. Lee. And you mentioned before that all of your uh, all, all the things that you had that was in a warehouse um, 
got taken over and destroyed. You you really had nothing left. No, that, that uh, I think maybe we're mixing two stories now. All my memorabilia, the I, memorabilia, okay. all my okay. memorabilia I retained. Uh, and uh, uh, when I moved to a smaller house back around 2010, I took all my memorabilia into the Foxfire warehouse. Yeah, okay. Stored it there, and when Foxfire was sold, I had two huge boxes of stuff and. Uh, uh, one I, I can't remember. One I took, and uh, the other one I went back to reclaim about two weeks later, and it had been tossed. I, I don't know if it was tossed uh, out of malice. I suspect not, but uh, it had my name on it very clearly, and uh, it disappeared. And there were there were some things, John Herson, you would have liked to have had from there, like uh, Dick's original handwritten 1950 baseball cards, uh, the uh, his original. Uh, uh, handwriting of the uh, master game boards uh, in the mid 1970s on large graph paper. Uh, some of the uh, some of the ledgers uh, from the company over the years. A number of things I would have liked to have had, but would have been would have been nice for Appa to have. But uh, mm -hmm. uh, I think they went into an incinerator somewhere. Or they're buried with Jimmy Hoffa somewhere. We may have a shot. Uh, we'd have a better chance with an incinerator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you're probably right. So so what happens then, Fritz? I mean, these things happen. It's, what, 1997 at this point? Yes, Microleague's uh, bankruptcy was filed in December of 1997. Yes. Okay, then, then what do you do at this point? Uh, what, do you, what happens to App at this point? Well, um, the uh, the company went into a Chapter 11, and uh, there was discussion as to whether, and this the company meaning Microleague, which included APA, um, mm -hmm. there was discussion of just doing a uh, a liquidation, and eventually uh, a gentleman named Norm Sohm um, surfaced. He had uh, he had been quite successful in the software industry uh, with uh, with Novell. There's a name from the past, Novell Networking Equipment, and he had relationships with uh, Penjani, which was a uh, a uh, I don't know if you'd call it a joint venture legally, but it was a combination of Penn Mutual Insurance and Janie Montgomery Scott. And they had become the primary investor in Microleague over the course of years. Right. They decided to bring in Norm Sohm and try to turn the company around because Norm said, uh, you have some really good content here. We had, uh, we had the APA stuff. We had a few Microleague products that were worth a little bit. And there were products from a company called Ablesoft which eventually were left by the wayside, but which were quality products, a product called Teacher's Toolbox and a product, uh, two products before that called Card Collector and Comic Collector. Uh, I think the, uh, the point of those is obvious. But yeah. uh, so Norm came in and uh, um, here was one good thing that happened from a personal basis. Uh, I met Norm one day and he said, uh, what, uh, what are you planning to do? And I said, I frankly have no idea. 
he said, uh, why don't you hang around here and try to help me take this company out of bankruptcy? I said, I, I don't know anything about bankruptcy. I really have no interest in learning further about bankruptcy. <laughs> right. and I'm not sure I'd be of any help to you. And he said, well, in my career, I have learned that uh, uh, if you're going to try to turn a company around or make major changes, you need, uh, you need some connection with what has been going on before. He said, I don't, I don't know much about the company, but I have learned that uh, you're the only guy around here that anybody believes. <laughs> so that, uh, that kind of persuaded me, and I did stay around until we did take the company out of bankruptcy about 10 months later, and I enjoyed that period of time. I mean, it was, to me, shameful just to be associated with a bankruptcy, although I really had nothing to do with it myself. Sure. Right. Uh, but, uh, we had a small core of people under Norm Soam working very, very hard to bring the company out of bankruptcy and uh, against all odds, uh, succeeded. Uh, in fact, I went to see our accounting firm at one point, maybe six months into the bankruptcy to talk to him about, uh, what the firm was doing from an accounting standpoint with things that I had asked them to do and Norm had asked them to do. And, uh, the owner of the firm a Jersey firm, a small firm, but they had maybe a dozen accountants said, uh, maybe I better start work on this. I said, what do you mean you better start work? I said, I've been expecting things from you for months. And he said, yeah, but I, I, I knew there was never a chance you were going to come out of bankruptcy. So we didn't devote any time to, <laughs> he said, it looks like miraculously you might be able to do it. So, wow. So anyway, that was a that was a personally rewarding time because that was uh, it was what we did was almost impossible, at least according to uh, experts mm. and our own and our own lawyers. Uh, but uh, once we came out, the uh, direction of the company changed again, and the people who had put money in to help bring us out of bankruptcy uh, had a uh, much different idea than I did of. Uh, uh, where the company ought to be going, not only with APA, but uh, with uh, other products with, with which I'd become familiar as well. Sure. And yeah. it just, uh, it, uh, in early 2000, 2001, I guess, uh, John Freddie had, had uh, reclaimed his assets. Uh, the uh, Micro League managed to uh, blame at least with professionals, some of the bankruptcy on its acquisition of the printing company. That mm. was not true. That was not true. Uh, so John was allowed, unlike me, to take his assets back. Uh, uh, he then made a, uh, he started with two strikes against him with his printing company because he, <laughs> he had to, uh, he had to make whole some of the people who had paid money to micro league, which right. the, the new Foxfire was not going to get. Uh, so he started out with at least two strikes against him, but he made the company a very substantial success over the course of the years. He called me in, I'd say 2000 or maybe even 99, try to get me to come on with him. And uh, in 2001, it became apparent to me that I didn't want to be with the uh, new micro league organization anymore. And uh, I went to work for the printing company and that was essentially the end of my at least my professional relationship with Apple, and it was it was it was time at that point. Sure, yeah, uh, and and I got geez, uh, uh, quite a few questions in, in relation to that. At, during this time, uh, the 
Hello? John? I lost you, John. I lost him too, Fritz. And I figure I was probably boring you. No, this is fascinating. <laughs> and, and I really appreciate your candor. Uh, this is fascinating. Well, some of it's not much fun to relive, but uh, it was uh, it was part of my life. It's a big part of my life. So, well, I admire you for um, you know telling all you know the good stuff and the bad stuff, and I'm sure it brings back bad memories. Well, if if it weren't a company like Appa, I wouldn't. But people, uh, and and I would frankly, I don't think I would have if it weren't for the convention. But people were. Uh, apparently deeply interested in details that I would have thought would have no relevance to them at all. So. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and even after that, I thought, well, gee, I think I got the whole picture now, but in these last four episodes, I, I'm learning more and more. Um, uh, John, anything else that, that you can uh, uh, add to this as far as um Fritz uh, going through this period and uh, and then finally realizing that his time with Appa is over. I mean, what, what can you add to it? Uh, nothing really, except <laughs> that um, it, it highlights once again Fritz's important role in um, keeping Appa alive during difficult times. Well, yeah, just even coming back out of bankruptcy. I think a lot of people at that point in time were like, well, now we got to find a new board game or a new computer game because uh, this, this is over. Did you hear from any of those customers, Fritz? Uh, oh, sure. sure yeah, sure people, people, were, people were very worried at that time with good reason. And yeah. I had, uh, uh, I was, uh, between my own, what was left of my own assets and uh, uh, a couple of people that uh, were going to be willing, I was trying to figure out if it actually was liquidated, how I could buy the app assets back uh in that liquidation uh whether i would have been able to do that or not who knows but uh, right right uh it i i guess you know where we go from here is is maybe get some of those questions i've i've been asking the Apple community if they have any questions that they would like to ask you directly um to get them in we've gotten a few haven't gotten a whole lot but i think at this point uh you know we may be able to uh uh, put a stop on this particular episode. And then if you're willing to come back uh, at least one more time and probably one more time for sure to, to answer some questions, because I'm sure a lot of people will have questions that I have forgotten to ask or, or John hasn't gotten around to. Um, but anything that you can add since in your pay, or let, well, let people know what you, what you are doing from that point on and then uh, what you're doing today for, for that matter. Uh, I'm sitting here at my computer, and when we're done, uh, I'll either read a book or take a nap. It's a tough one. And I, I hope to get. I hope I get. I hope I can get my back fixed so I can golf poorly again. There you go. That you got to do that. And, you know, when somebody asks you this, I think at the convention, do you still play Appa? Very, very rarely. Hmm. Very rarely. Yeah. Now, Fritz, when you when you owned Abba or before when you were working for Dick. Did you play ABBA every day in the office? <laughs> like you do, John? Yeah. <laughs> no, I can't recall that I ever did, except yeah. when we were having uh, uh, 
media in either uh, radio or television or print media to uh, to write a story about something. That's the only time I can recall playing games. <laughs> but you did say that uh, I think it was either Skeet or Varel would would go up to the upper floor of the of the game company and and play games in leagues up there. Didn't you say that earlier? I don't know that they ever played on the premises. Uh, oh. if, if so, if so, I don't remember it. I, I, I don't think that they did, but uh, they were they were certainly playing in leagues. I knew that. Yeah, Burl, uh, uh, Fred Burl used to play. Um, he had a little uh, in the the old kitchen. He had his setup up there where he was doing his replay with all the cards. Yeah, that's right. You were telling me that. And score too. sheets and yeah. stuff, and and he was doing that. Um, you know, whenever. I don't remember that. I know Dick was Dick was playing himself when he was uh, developing the master game. Uh, he was playing himself to see how it worked out with the master game. He was playing 1950 and trying to keep the Phillies in first place somewhere. <laughs> now the West Fritz, could, could we? One of the things that I would really like to hear you talk about, if you think it's um, there's enough meat on this issue. And maybe with Skeet joining us, is just the whole process back in the day of creating a new card set. You know, sure. selecting players. You know, what were the criteria? Especially, you know, back in the days when you only had twenty. Um, you know, I know. I, I think Skeet had a lot to do with building, making the lineups and stuff like that. But just taking us through the process of building one season set. Sure. Would you be interested in doing that? Sure. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you want uh, us to have ski as part of that? <laughs> yeah, I think I think it would be it would be helpful to have ski. I think his okay. memory's better than mine too. All right. Which is not um, saying much. So are you an Eagles fan? Of course. Okay. So you're feeling good. Uh no, a Philadelphia fan never feels confident about anything. <laughs> Too much, too much misery over the years. But I, I do think this, uh, this is the best team they've ever had. Really? Yeah, I think so. Wow. The one, the team that won the Super Bowl was a, an exciting team and won it with a backup quarterback. But uh, with, with Hertz healthy uh, and the the dominant offensive and defensive lines they have, mm -hmm. I think this is, I think this is the best team they've ever had, whether they win or lose the Super Bowl. And I think they have a chance. I think they have a 50-50 chance. It's, Oh, I, I think they got better than that. I mean, I, again, I think the two weeks off is definitely going to uh, help Mahomes to to recover from his from his ankle sprain. But uh, I, I mean, I like the Philly, uh, Philadelphia's chances, and 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 I think one thing is I've paid more attention to the AFC, obviously because the Bengals are there, than the NFC. But I, I think you're totally right, uh, Fritz. I think this is maybe one of the greatest teams of all time in Eagles history. If uh... The one thing that concerns me most is Hertz hasn't thrown well since he hurt his arm. Mm. I mean, they've been able to get by in the two playoff games because they were vastly superior to the Giants and because the 49ers didn't have a quarterback. And I think yeah. they might have beaten him anyway. But Hertz just started to run at the end of the last game. He hadn't run. And his his passing was was very inaccurate in the 49ers game. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Kansas City's defense is pretty good, I think. The Bengals found that out. They they ran roughshod over Buffalo. Buffalo couldn't do anything, and then uh, the 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 uh, the Chiefs' uh, defensive line gave them a lot more problems. And uh, 
And yeah, uh, that but, was a great game. You know, the Bengals were losing, you know, had two regulars yeah. in their old lineup, which, right. you know, I mean, you play with who you got and everybody's yeah, digged right. up, but, but that right. was a factor. Uh, I think the Super Bowl is a toss up. I think either team yeah. would be a good champion. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, yeah, and having having uh, playing Andy Reid is kind of interesting. I still have a soft soft spot for Andy Reid. He was pretty much run out of town by the Philadelphia media, and mm. uh, he I think save save Belichick. I don't think anybody would argue that he's not the best coach in the NFL. Uh, he uh, you're not going to win every year, but you have a competitive team every single year, uh, no matter where he's coaching. He had well, he's. Year. One bad year in Philadelphia. Well, his first year they had no players, and then he had one bad, bad year his last year. Otherwise, the team was either a playoff team or, or competitive for it every year, and it's been the same way in Kansas City. And he's the all-time winningest coach in Eagle yeah. history, is he not? Yes, I'm sure and, he is. And one away from being the all-time winningest coach <laughs> for Kansas, for the Chiefs. So, the I mean, the thing, guy one, is good. The one thing that hasn't worked is he was in Philadelphia, and I don't know if it was Nutrisystem or who it was. He was doing <laughs> He must weigh 500 pounds now. He is enormous. Man, I said the same thing when I saw him. I, told, I said to my wife, I said, man, that guy needs to mix a salad in here and there. because it it's, it's too bad. It's too bad. He's asking an awful lot of his heart. Yeah, uh, no especially, especially in a high-stress profession like that. It's, yeah. He seems to be pretty cool and calm, though. I mean, I'm sure it's not that way on the inside, but he, he's, he looks like a pretty cool cookie when he's out there on the sideline. A lot more a lot more cool than some of the coaches in the NFL. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, he, I, I liked him. And of course he was, he was clearly the best coach the Eagles ever had, but he, yeah. uh, he uh, didn't, uh, he didn't give the media good quotes. Like for example, Buddy Ryan did the media loved Buddy Ryan. Sure. Anything yeah. about anybody. Now, Buddy Ryan never won a playoff game in his whole tenure in Philadelphia. And Andy Reid was winning him all the time, but the press didn't like Reid because he wasn't good copy. Hmm. Yeah, that press can that the media can can make some changes, no doubt about it. Uh, John, anything else before we uh, before we wrap this one up? Uh, just you know, Andy Reid was Brett Favre's quarterback coach here in Green Bay. Right, right, right. And for a while, Reid played uh, sort of like the messenger between Holgram and, and Favre, because Holgram would be so angry. He was afraid to talk to Favre. He'd have Reed talk to him. Yeah, I didn't know that. We're not. We're not. We're not recording now, are we? <laughs> yes, we are. But no, I can. Okay. I can. I can edit it out. <laughs> no, I had a comment I was going to make, but I won't. So. <laughs> well, you can make it after off the record. No. Be, don't go when I sign off. Just no, it wasn't that funny anyway. <laughs> Oh, uh, well, as always, Fritz. I, I. I mean, I'm telling you, this. This has been. Uh, uh, certainly, if not the best moment, one of the best moments uh, that I've had in my history of doing the podcast here, and we're in our fifth year of this week in Appen. And you know, I I can't thank you enough for the time you put in. We've we've run through your tenor uh, tenure uh, with the game company, but I'd like to ask you if you if you would do a, everybody a big favor and come back one last time. If we have enough questions, I don't want to waste your time with just two or three questions, but. If you could come back and maybe uh, uh, do a favor to the Apple community and for so, those folks that want to uh, ask you questions, would you be willing to come back? and do Sure, that? I'd love to. Man, that, that would be great. I had one guy, and I'm not going to mention his name, but I had one guy contact me directly and say, is there any way 
that you can get in contact with Fritz and have him send me an autograph. I'm not kidding you. He wanted an autograph because he thought you are an icon of the game company and he loves the game so much that he really wanted to do that. So, uh, you know, but this is the I, kind I would, of, I would be very happy to do that, but uh, he ought to raise his standards. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, if, the, if, if someone wants my autograph, I would be thrilled to give it to them. Well, we'll get that worked out. And I, and, and I, I know he'll be happy to hear well, that. You I, know, I if, if you want, if, if you want Fritz's <laughs> autograph, Send to us what you want signed, <laughs> and we will make sure that you know we'll get it. We'll we'll be your middleman for us. It will be in a mall somewhere, and it'll be $150 a pop. I think you and Pete Rose would get along just fine together. <laughs> oh, please, you want to hear my middle son's story <laughs> about autographs? Yeah, yeah, let's hear it. We went to a Packer Bear game. In Lambeau, uh, we used to come up to Wisconsin after his football season was done for a football weekend. And we were in a box, and in the box was uh, Bart Starr. And uh, Starr signs, he, he'll sign, but he personalizes everything. Mm, yeah, can't resell, right. And uh, I knew that, and I had brought a football with a signature panel that uh, Starr signed for Taylor. Very gracious, very, very gracious man. Taylor turned down a thousand bucks the next morning in the Milwaukee airport as we're flying out because he wasn't going to check that football. It wasn't leaving his possession. <laughs> and we got back to Georgia. And a couple weeks later, he said, you know, I wonder if Brett Favre would sign this. He goes, his agent's in Mississippi, isn't he? I said, yeah. So he tracked down the address. and He, he sent the ball to Favre's agent, you know, explaining the story and asking if Favre would sign the ball. And about a week later, he gets a package in the mail, and it's um, the football. But Favre hasn't signed it. There's a note from uh, Favre's agent is that uh, Rhett does not sign anything that Bart Starr has signed because he doesn't feel that that's right, that he's in that class. Huh. A week later comes a signed football from Favre to Taylor. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Oh, that's it. But that's, you know, you hear so many things about Brett Favre. That's 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 kind of noble of him. And, uh, yeah, that's that's encouraging. Yeah, that's encouraging. <laughs> I like the way you put that, Prince. That's, that's well said. Uh, well, listen, both you guys, uh, uh, thanks again for uh, for joining me here this afternoon. And uh, we'll get this up uh, in, in a few days and uh, let the rest of the Apple community enjoy Um uh, the fourth installment of this history of app, according to Fritz and Fritz looking forward for you to come back and answer some questions for us. But uh, thanks again for your time. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it too. Thank you. Great. John. Thank as you very always, much Fritz. And, and, and John, as always, thank you for being a part of this as well. You and I will need to get together and do a little update on what's going on at the game company within the next couple of weeks too, but that's going to wrap it up for today here on this week in APA. Thanks for listening. And if you want to have some questions answered by Fritz Light about anything with the APA Game Company, and including his tenure uh, as the president of the game company, send it to my DM account uh, on Facebook, and I will log all of them, and hopefully we'll have a bunch that we can uh, uh, ask Fritz the next time we get together. So until then, 
Thanks for listening. Thanks to Fritz and John. And we'll be back next time on This Week in Apple.